podcast ain't played nobody uh you can find us as a part of the banner society at banner society both on twitter on instagram my name is steven godfrey you can find me at 38 godfrey on twitter and instagram my co-host today young richard johnson richard how might people find you on social media RJ underscore writes, Godfrey, is your wife jealous that you are spending your anniversary with a uh, much more attractive younger model? I'm now going to forward this podcast to my wife. You can take that comment up with her. That's the folly of youth, Richard, as you constantly uh, constantly put your foot in your mouth until you know better. Also, that's the comments of a man who's never been married. Let's talk about coaching. Let's talk about marriages that are breaking up. Ooh, that's that? a good segue. Yeah, it is. All right. Um, so what we're going to do here is we're going to address a couple um, jobs that are open. I mean, which is just like Rutgers, essentially. Uh, jobs we think will open. Jobs that are being talked about. We're also going to start off by addressing a couple things. One, it was very much a cooling week last week, Richard. Uh, a lot of jobs we discussed on last week's uh, coaching special, coach season special, silly season special. I don't know. We'll workshop the name. They kind of cooled down but uh, because they won. We're still going to talk about some of these schools in the context of the season, but uh, last week you had Virginia Tech winning, right, and an amazing game against North Carolina that was really sort of a referendum. On amazing is one way to describe it. Dude, that overtime was legit. Um, Vanderbilt, we'll talk about Derek Mason's comments after he upset Missouri. Uh, Southern California, BYU, and Illinois. Now, we also just want to throw this in here because sometimes you have to repeat yourself for people to hear you. Um, there were two wins last week by Indiana and UCLA. These were never in doubt because we don't think these jobs are going to open. Um, if anything, I think Indiana is positioning themselves better than they ever have under Tom Allen, who's incredibly well-liked. And as far as Chip Kelly goes, look, I don't really think this job was ever, 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 ever going to come open this year. But We've said I, it a thousand times. They're committed I, to a long-term rebuild. I do think. I do think there is space to talk about it in the guise of a new athletic director coming in. If yes. they would have, yes, there there was space to talk about it. I don't think it was absolutely absurd to bring it up. No, um, I think they're very committed to Chip Kelly for better or worse. Now, one of the things we will discuss as we go through the rest of the season and into the off season is. Is that a good idea? We don't know. All right? We don't really understand what UCLA thinks they're getting out of out of Chip Kelly because we don't really still understand what Chip Kelly is in 2019. But uh, job's not opening. Uh, the one that we have on here just as an LOL is that every week you have sort of a fever point of frustration in the fan base. And this week it's it's Ma- uh, excuse me Miami and, and head coach Manny Diaz. It's his first year, y'all. Uh, he's, he's not getting fired. Uh, they're in a way for sure. Uh, I'll have Richard diagnose them in two seconds. But yes, they did lose to a hapless Georgia Tech team that is transitioning out of the triple option and is is uh, is having a tough year. They're not getting fired. Richard, what's wrong with Miami in, in 20 seconds? Uh, they don't have a good offensive line situation. The quarterback situation remains in flux, even though it looks like a, the quarterback situation remains in flux. And the other thing is on Saturday, holy shit, they could not tackle anyone. Oh, these are problems. Um, now, the next segment we're going to run into is kind of names without jobs. So these are names that we hear a lot about. These are names with a lot of um, momentum behind them, but they aren't necessarily attached to one job. Now, some of these, I'm actually going to work backwards on this list, Richard. Uh, some of these are obvious. The first one on here is Luke Fickle. That's because Luke Fickle has turned around Cincinnati and really turned them into the kind of power that they were under. Uh, I mean, I'll go all the way back to Brian Kelly. This is a really, really good program. Um, this is a really well-managed program, very talented. So um, 
Luke Fickle is naturally going to be associated with the next job because that's what happens in the American Athletic Conference when you are a young coach who's doing extremely well. This is the same pattern as Tom Herman or uh, Willie Taggart, Jeff Collins at Temple. So his name is out there. His name is not associated with one particular job. Now, people talk about this job, Richard, or they talk about this coach. They always talk about him in the context of Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio retiring. We've heard about Mark D'Antonio is going to retire 100 times now. We're not here to report that or confirm that. Yes, it's out there in the ether. So Luke, I think, inevitably gets tied to Michigan State. The other one he gets tied to, obviously, is Ohio State if Ryan Day were to, I don't know, suddenly coach the Cowboys or something. I think that with Luke, it's pretty simple there. It's what's a really good Midwest job. Uh, I don't know. Is he Catholic? Notre Dame work? I don't know. He's extremely Catholic, and Notre Dame would be an ideal – Oh, he's got like eight kids. Yeah, you'd know that if you listen to my interviews, Richard. Um, he uh, he's I think he has eight or nine kids. I can't remember now, but I mean, it, like Holy when shit. I yeah, exactly. When I interviewed him in August, I was just, just shocked. Um, he's originally from the Columbus, Ohio area, but he is very Catholic, obviously, because he's got a bunch of kids. Um, I got man, I got a third one coming. I can't even 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 with the money of being a football coach. Let's just now, pause for a second because money don't buy time. A millionaire still only gets twenty four hours a day. Well, now uh, I'm sending this. Now I'm sending this podcast to your wife. I think she would agree with me at this point. Uh, Luke Fickle is going to be out there, Cincinnati. I, I think at this point you, you should be inoculated to this kind of stuff. So uh, the other names, obviously Willie Fritz at Tulane, same situation. Basically, he sort of has the spirit of a young coach, even though he's older. Um, he has done exactly what he set out to do with Tulane, and and. I mean, guy, you want to talk about modern reinvention of a program? Yeesh. Um, uh, with Willie, I, like Willie, it's a you strike when the iron is hot because you aren't sure how long the iron will stay hot. In yeah. in a sense of you know how long he can keep doing this. It's you know it's a younger man's game. He's got the the vitality. He's got the energy. Um, but he's a guy who has waited so long in his career not waited i should say i think he's a guy who it has taken him so long to get to this level he has in a very very classical way worked his way all the way mm-hmm. from you know the all the way up the ladder of, of college football coaching jobs yes and took his time at, at some of the the smaller stops i think really to build a unique style a unique culture um i mean it wasn't but ooh, seven six seasons ago he was at sam houston state so um that's how fast these things can happen uh so a couple of them just want to breeze by real fast seth luttrell obviously he almost took the k-state job last year at north texas i think that people are still estimating him on the body of work and not necessarily the fact that they're struggling this season because of a little bit of roster turnover. Uh, the other one, obviously, former Tennessee head coach Butch Jones, who's an analyst at Alabama right now. Those kind of go without sort of we don't really have to get into. Um, Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. This is a guy whose name popped up with the Temple job um, since Temple had two coaching searches, essentially. Um, that's a guy who makes a lot of sense Feels like it's time to jump. Um, I want to ask you this question because we're also going to talk about Tony Elliott at Clemson. Do you think, Richard, that there could be a situation where Mike Elko is wooed away from that first level job, that sort of G5 FBS job, similar to the way that the Clemson assistants were like Tony Elliott? Because, I mean, they got money in College Station. If he's happy with what he's doing and he wants to work for Jimbo for a little while longer, he can sit tight and make good cash. 
Yeah, and that's why you pay defensive coordinator or coordinators um, a lot of money. Uh, I am. If you could Google me, Mike Elko's salary, real quick, so that we can make this great radio. Um, we we talk about this with Clemson. We talk about this with LSU. Um, they are kind of the starkest examples. If you have a coach who is unproven, or if you have a coach who you just want to kind of protect, like. Ed Orgeron or Dabo Sweeney 10 years ago, who was a former wide receivers coach and a former interim. You surround him with absolute gangbusters coordinators. Mm-hmm. And you pay those coordinators, if you have the money to do so, and Texas AM does, you pay those coordinators roughly a G5 head coach's salary. That's a million, that's 1.5. Dave Aranda's going two. Keep going. Um, and you Keep pay going. them you pay them a whole lot of money, and you pay them a whole lot of money so that the only reason they would leave is for an upper crust-ish power five head coaching job. You will not lose your coordinator to another coordinator job unless it's the NFL. So how much do you think he makes? Um, I'm going to guess one point four. You don't know Texas. Texas A&M pays Mike Elko 2.1 right now. This is why if you're Mike Elko and someone goes, oh, hey, Mac job is open. Mike Elko, or at least if I was Mike Elko, I'd be like, deuces, that's great, man. Good luck with your Mac job. I'm going to stay here and be an assistant coach and make $2 million a year. Uh, Yeah, that's a completely different culture. Uh, The last one I want to mention, Brian Harson, Boise lost last week to BYU. Bad weather conditions. Um, you know, not taking anything away from, I mean, God, they want to get a third string quarterback. I mean, BYU is such a schizoid deal. Uh, Boise's going to have another one or two lost season. They're probably going to win the Mountain West or come close to it. It's going to, I mean, it's going to come down to them in Fresno, right? What more do you do there if you're Brian Harson? I think, I think the, the, the limit with which you approach the Boise State job is that that school doesn't seem to want to do the UCF kind of like heel turn, right? Where they're wow, just, you were nice about that. Just ridiculously obnoxious and sort of like getting out there in the press in a way there we go. that, you know, just insanely off-putting to pretty much everyone in the business, even hurts people like me or G5 advocates. Boise Thank doesn't you. want to play that game. They don't want to play that game. They've, they've, they've said that as much. So, But they, they also don't have to. Boise doesn't have to. Because Boise doesn't have to do what UCF did in a sense of being an up-and-comer. Boise State is a brand. They're a specific type of brand. It's a niche brand, but it is a brand. Boise State's a brand. The reality is that I'm convinced. This is why when I do the recaps on Sunday on PAPN, I don't include any when we talk about real ass playoff teams good ass teams all this stuff i don't even when boise or ucf or whoever is 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 overachieving or achieving i should just say i never include them because i am i am 110 convinced that there's absolutely no way a group of five team can make a four-team playoff there's at least in this structure it's not going to happen i think harsh is aware of that i think there's an I, I there's a summit we've we've sort of reached an apex at this point um it might be time where Brian Harson says, hey, look, I did this. I maintained the standard. I maintained the brand, the culture, uh, really everything that Chris Peterson specifically had done. Let's go look for a new challenge. So that's one I would watch out for. Um, the next, okay, now to get into the actual schools, Richard, uh, we'll start with the obvious one, which is still Rutgers because they still have a job opening. Um, this job sort of opened where everyone talked about a three a three man race with former coach Greg Schiano, uh, former Tennessee coach Butch Jones, and then current Mississippi State head coach Joe Moorhead. 
we both have a if we if we had to bet right now, Richard and I, we would make the same bet, and that bet is Gregory Schiano. It is. If so, if Richard and I had to make a bet right now, based on the information we have, we would bet that Greg Schiano will be the next head coach at Rutgers. Yeah, I look. Rutgers did the thing that schools in this position do, which is you go and you hire a search firm, um, and you do the business a little bit um, with with a little bit of plausible deniability that a search firm offers an athletic director, um, and whether or not the search firm lands on the guy that everybody says you're probably going to land on or not. Um, you know, you still did a air quotes search and you landed on the guy. It's not a confirmation. It's not an announcement. If I had to put my own money down, I would put my money on Greg Schiano. Uh, it's that simple. It doesn't really even speak to necessarily the situation with Butch Jones or Joe Moorhead. I think that, um, I think a good comp for this situation might be, if you're interested, to take a look at how Utah State's opening went from a variety of diverse candidates, all of whom were very deserving and interesting, to nope, it's just Gary Anderson's job again. <laughs> um, I think that might be a, that might be a good comp for the situation. Richard, we're gonna. Um, I guess this is a teaser. I don't know. We want to talk about Florida State. We want to talk about the reports around Willie Taggart. We want to talk about his situation. However. We're faking y'all out right now and telling you you've got to tune in to the next episode of PAPN. Only because the third co-host of the Tasting Menu is not here. That is one Bud, Bud Elliott, graduate of Florida State, proprietor of the Knollcast, proprietor, former proprietor, I think, of Tomahawk Nation. Um, we will discuss Willie Taggart and Florida State uh, at length, compare notes, and talk about likely situations uh, with Bud in a little bit, but not on this episode. Sorry, guys. Look, uh, we're, we're, we're covering asses here to take you inside yeah. baseball. The University of Florida graduate will not be discussing Florida State on his podcast without the help of the Florida State pod, uh, mm. uh, podcast co-host that helps us out. Ah, man, I talk about Mississippi State all the time. Uh, the, the one job, Richard, that I hear the most about, that I've heard the most about in the last two weeks... That one job, I'm not going to ask you to guess it because we're looking at the same set of notes. That would be the Arkansas Razorbacks. Pig, Sue, Razorbacks. Uh, We talked about this last week. This is a team that looks like it's going to go 0-4 in the SEC again this year in the second year of the Chad Morris era. The referendum has arrived. I think the perspective has shifted back to the fact that Brett Bielema did not leave an ideal roster by anyone's anyone's interpretation. However, it should not be as bad as it is, and it is bad. When we um, talk about when, when we talk about probably going over in the SEC, I want to paint a very quick picture. Our old friend Bill Connolly projects scoring margins um, with S and P by his numbers today. Arkansas, the closest Arkansas would be by projected scoring margin or point spread, if you will, is a 10 and a half point underdog on a neutral field against Mississippi State. And they have Bama, Mississippi State, Western Kentucky, LSU, and Missouri left. That, now, that's get, the closest they're projected uh, against uh, the rest of the schedule. Uh, the rest of I the SEC get, schedule. I'll give you a quick guide. I don't think that if they get routed by a 2 Alabama, it's going to matter. I don't think when they get smacked by LSU, it's going to matter. 
The game that we talked about last week matters, and that's Western Kentucky in a couple weeks with their former quarterback, Ty Story, who didn't work out with Morris's system and plan. I think that is where locally a referendum is created on the University of Arkansas. Now, I want to paint you a picture about the University of Arkansas, Richard. It's very similar to another school we're about to talk about. If Chad Morris is fired at any point before January of 2023, that feels likely, he, he's owed 70% of his remaining salary. When you do the math on that biannual, they're going to owe him around $9.8 million, Richard. That's a lot of money to pay off Chad Morris to go to go away after going 0 and 16 in the Southeastern Conference. However, that's not all, my friend. One Brett Bielema of the New England Patriots. He's getting a sweet, sweet check right now, Richard, for $320,000 a month from the University of Arkansas. That is going to, uh, that doesn't expire until December of next year of 2020. We are on the wrong side of this business. I'm telling you, man, it hurts to talk about this sometimes. I got kids. Uh, If you do the math real fast, that's about uh, $4.3, $4.4 million. Okay. Brett, my guy, I will pencil you in for every job in America if you hook me up with one month of that Arkansas bio. Oh, hell yes. Holler at your boy. Absolutely. Uh, I will pimp you out for every job that's ever been been come up. (laughs) 14 million, roughly, in coach buyouts that you're looking at at Arkansas. And that's before uh, I, I don't know what Chase Gus Malzahn. That's a conversation for another day. Colorado State. They're two and five. Uh, they inarguably have more losses coming, Richard. This is going to be the end of the Mike Bobo era. It's been fraught. It's been tough. It's been hard. I interviewed him on this podcast a couple months ago. Uh, genuinely good human being. It has not worked out. Um, this job is a high-level G5 job. This is a job that looks at itself and says, we can do, provide, create everything that at least Boise State has. Why? And that's the expectation. Why? why? Let me tell you why, Richard. One, they're going to spend the money like Boise State. Two, they just built an entirely brand new, beautiful stadium. Three, you love that they're, stadium. They're located in Fort Collins, Colorado. Fort Collins, Colorado is basically on the northern end of the Denver suburban expansion. If you don't know anything about Colorado right now, you can ask Mel Tucker why he finds it appealing. And that's that Denver, and specifically in that area of Colorado, is a high population growth area. Now, does this mean that it's teeming with defensive tackles? No. But there's interest, money, energy, resources, and population in Colorado. This should be maybe not Boise, Richard, it should be better. I mean, I think that you look. The Mountain West is up is upwardly mobile. The word, maybe not even upwardly mobile. Like the Mountain West is a league where you can, I think, set up shop on the top end and stay there if you're willing to spend. Be, unlike the American, like in the American, there are a, a lot of teams that are kind of all spending roughly around the same amount um that if if you miss on a head coaching hire in the american and you spend two two and a half years kind of figuring yourself out you're gonna slip down in that division i mean look just look at what's happening right now um with usf for instance but the, in in go ahead the two to say the two names right now that i would look at if i was colorado state hawaii head coach nick rolovic 
and the offensive coordinator at Penn State, Ricky Ronnie. Now, Ronnie's a pretty simpler explanation. Just he's from Colorado. Okay, that's the base. That's the baseline for why I would look at him. And because yes, I think, sometimes it is that simple. Yes. Oh, without a doubt, it's that simple, especially when you're looking at jobs west of the Mississippi. So that's why I would look at Ricky Ronnie. Second, the, the Rolovic thing is that people are going to look at Hawaii and see a volatile program. That's, if you know anything about the state of college football, it's pretty explainable. Hawaii is volatile because they're in Hawaii. It's hard to maintain the <laughs> roster, and it's extremely hard to build depth because of the challenges they face because of their location. It's that simple. Now, another person might say, well, what if Hawaii has a – what if they can max out and run, create some sort of 10-win campaign? Wouldn't he jump further than his own conference? My response to that is that I think the perception against Hawaii and the job that you do there is such that he needs to come to the mainland and basically – I don't want to say start over or do over, but he would need to do it at a G5 in the mainland. It's just, that's the way it is. June Jones left to go to SMU, by the way. So that's that's your most recent comp of that situation. And not now, when it was cool to go to SMU either. No, this was a different SMU. This was a bottom-feeding SMU. Uh, Richard, I have a question for you as a Florida graduate. Central <laughs> Michigan having a nice little first season under a young head coach named Jim McElwain. Jesus. If you're Colorado State, would you hire Jim McElwain back to Colorado State? <sighs> I, yes. I mean, if I'm Jim McElwain, do I go back to Colorado State? Um, maybe. Like, I would think that on the balance, uh, Colorado State's a better job. At least there's kind of a higher ceiling. You're not in the MAC. Like, you're not in Michigan, too. That's the other thing. You're not in Michigan. You can do a little bit more out west than perhaps uh, you can do in Michigan with with a lot of bigger boys a lot closer. Jim McElwain's, you know, Wyoming guy, all that kind of, or Montana guy, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Richard, if I told you that everything was calm at two and five Tennessee right now, would that surprise you? I mean, give me two weeks, but yeah. Okay, here's why everything's calm at two and five Tennessee. Arkansas, you don't have the worst problem in the room. Uh, Tennessee, and I wrote this up and we posted it directly to the Banner Society Reddit. Uh, when they were in the Georgia State BYU type of way earlier in the season. We did the quick math there. If they were to fire and buy out Jeremy Pruitt, they would owe him about $9.25 million. The problem is this. Butch Jones has not taken a job yet. He's an analyst at Alabama. They're still on the hook for about $8 million of Butch Jones. That's, that's also why That's also why he's still an, an analyst oh, I, at Alabama. I, I, yeah, but I think, I think Butch draws like a dollar from the University of Alabama system a month or whatever, <laughs> whatever the bare minimum is. Because, hey, if you're going to be spiteful, the SEC is the place to do it. Um, so here's the situation at Tennessee. Uh, it's in my backyard. I can tell you this. Things are calm for now. Here's the reason why things are calm. They're two and five, yes. But in the front, in front of them, they have UAB, they have Kentucky, and they have Vanderbilt. Okay? That makes them feel a little bit better. What also makes them feel better is this. They have swing games. These are swing games. I'm not saying they're going to win these games. I'm saying they're swing games against Missouri and South Carolina. Now, add that up. Technically, there's a bowl there. I don't think that's going to happen. Christ. I don't think that's going to happen. Open but, quote. Stephen Godfrey says Tennessee will make a bowl. Close uh, quote. Fantastic. Yeah. They'll love, well, they'll love me on local radio, at least. The situation with Tennessee is this. It's not about a bowl. It's about the fact that you really can't fire this dude because you're going to be $18 million in the hole on buyouts. Maybe Butch bails you out by taking another job. Maybe not, okay? He's a contender at Rutgers, but we both believe he's not going to get that job. We don't know what kind of job he's going to get. You would be so sunk on cost before you would even then go out 
and try and make another hire on another search? Uh, our colleague Ryan Nanny, fearless leader of Banner Society, is actually working on a piece right now about the history of Wayward Tennessee head coaching searches. Uh, spoiler alert, everybody always dies in these things, okay? <laughs> Tennessee dies first. So it's forced optimism. It's a forced calm, all right? It's a referendum, I think, from upon high in Phil Fulmer and that any positive thing that comes out of Knoxville is something that they consider to be the beginning of a streak. So my question to you, Richard, is looking at, yeah, Tua got hurt, and of course they lost the game, but looking at the Alabama game as well as the win at home against Mississippi State, is there any positive development? Is, is a trend, especially on defense starting, that Tennessee's moving in a, in a positive manner? I mean, if you want to be charitable about the equation, then yeah, you can spin it that way. Uh, Tennessee is, um, I would, they're, they're an upper third defensive team. I think that's fair to say. Um, I Like, I will say this about Tennessee. Um, and you saw it, like, in the Mississippi State game. Like, on defense, they do play hard. And I would like to give Jeremy, Pre- Jeremy Pruitt some credit for that. Like, they play hard on defense. Um, they fly around. You know, when they're down a million, they're down a million. But, yes, they play hard on defense. Um, and, you know, they played hard against Florida, uh, played hard against Georgia, obviously played hard against Mississippi State. Um a bust lost them the game against BYU. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they're not they're not without a pulse on defense. Right. All right, let's stay Charitably, in well, charitably, the and I'm trying to stay charitable here, you can look at the Alabama thing and say, look, if Garantano doesn't fumble the ball on the goal line and it's returned 100 yards, that's a 14-point swing, and you're at least in that game, yeah. and you're losing that game by less than 20, Right. And so there's some ways to be charitable about Tennessee. I personally would not be charitable about Tennessee, but that's me personally. I think that there are ways to talk yourself into an ounce, an iota, enough proof of concept to maybe stem the tide for next year. Now, that being said, UAB, Kentucky, Vanderbilt still remain. When you said it, all is calm, all is calm for now. For now. And those are games. And by the way, UAB has one loss. So not a pushover at all. Not a pushover. Um, So we'll put a pin in Tennessee for a second. Um, It's there. I have a feeling we'll come back to it. Yeah, I have a feeling too. Uh, Real quick, Vanderbilt, we don't have much to say other than like, and I wrote about this in the top whatever for Banner Society on on Sunday morning. Who's that Derek Mason? I don't know that Derek Mason. I don't know that dude who comes out on the field 21 to 14. Huge Yo, ain't built for this. I'm built for this. <laughs> Huge home upset. That's my man. Missouri. Hey, my Where guy was, was in the bulletproof vest talking yeah, he, that shit. Hey, that dude wears that shit all the time. Uh, it's amazing. He 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 runs that vest, dude. If it drops below 80 degrees in Nashville, he's in that vest. Um, okay, all right, all right. If, if he stays, and I'm not saying he is, keep that energy. All right. This is what you have to do at Vanderbilt. You have to do that. I know that that energy is infectious to college football players. I've done enough damn embeds to tell you that. Now, here's the flip side of this situation, Richard. They still lost to UNLV at home, and this was a <laughs> this was an upset against a Missouri team that made a lot of mistakes in bad weather in Nashville. Okay, so when you start looking at the aggregate, they're going to talk about it in that context. Here's the other issue, and he mentioned this when he's hollering post game. There are a lot of people who want this job. There are a lot of people who 
may or may not be right for this job or we're necessarily going to change Vanderbilt back into the James Franklin era. But I'll tell you right now, if I had to make a list, I can make a list real, real fast because of all the people that are associated that would be interested in Vanderbilt. So you can start with all the Franklin assistants, right? You've got Brent Pry, current defensive coordinator. He could go. Bob Shoup, former defensive coordinator on James Franklin, currently at Mississippi State. Herb Hand, offensive line run game coordinator at Texas, was just at Auburn. Ricky Ronnie, the offensive coordinator we talked about. All of these dudes that work for James Franklin could come in if Vanderbilt so chooses to go that to go and just say, hey, you know what? We got to bring uh, wake up the echoes, whatever the hell Notre Dame says. Speaking of the Irish, <laughs> Nashville native, defensive coordinator, Clark Lee. This is just, I just jotted these down, y'all. There's no shortage of candidates that would be interested in this job. What Derek Mason will tell you and what I will tell you, having lived next to Vanderbilt now going on my 13th year, is there is a gross and and almost unseen disconnect between the expectation and what is put into this program. I think, Richard, Derek Mason is a great coach. And I think Derek Mason could be the right coach for Vanderbilt. If you told me next year that that Vanderbilt went 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, I'd believe it. They um, need... They need more input from the people who make things happen for college football programs. I'll leave it at that. The <laughs> um, Look, I, I, my question, I, I want to go a little bit hypothetical on Vanderbilt. Let's say it absolutely tanks. Let's say they go 0 for and they don't win another game for this season and you are getting rid of Derek Mason. Not saying it's going to happen. Let's say what may happen if it does happen. What happens there? Does Vanderbilt do the up-and-comer for the third time in a row? Because Franklin's an up-and-comer, Mason's an up-and-comer. Do they do that again? Because a lot of the guys you were talking about, yes, they've been around, but they haven't been around head coach around. So that, I think, kind of classifies them as up-and-comer. Or do they go, or does Vanderbilt go and get established head coach? The basketball program just went and got up-and-comer with Stackhouse. What does football do? I think Malcolm Turner coming in as the AD and replacing David Williams, who, who passed away right after he retired, there's so much stuff that has to happen at Vanderbilt for them to become organized enough to compete in the SEC. Because I, I, I hate this working theory of like, well, it could work for Northwestern in the Big Ten. It could work for Stanford in the Pac-12. It can't work for Vanderbilt because it's the SEC. I think the margin is smaller. It can still work for Vanderbilt in the SEC. It's just that they've got to get organized, effort. I mean, the stadium's a piece of shit, and I'm not a facilities guy. They've got to have more around this program than a than a guy is a really good defensive coordinator now he the thing i'll put on him is you need to change your damn offense and you need that energy because you've got to be extra at vanderbilt you can't just be the quiet soft-spoken dude who's a really good ball coach richard let's talk about new mexico 35 and 59 uh they are very far removed from their nine win season uh division winning season in the mountain west in 2016 our friend bob davey Friend. Uh, we, we got a bit of issue here. Who we got friend? heart we got heart issues. We got uh sexual assault investigation obstruction issues. We got racism issues. We got all the issues, Richard. We literally got them all. So I'll read you the lead real fast in case you're, you know, New Mexico, kind of off in this in the solar system, right? So let me let me refresh y'all real fast. I believe this is from Sports Illustrated. Uh, the University of New Mexico's decision on Thursday to suspend head football coach Bob Davey for 30 days over allegations that he physically assaulted players, obstructed a rape investigation, and frequently engaged in racist comments is poised to spark yet another college football scandal that intersects with the law. It kind of didn't. That was a year ago. He right? just kind of kept coaching. 
That was a year ago. Yeah. That was a year ago, and a lot of that stuff, particularly the racist stuff, stems from a letter that senior football players sent to the administration in 2013. So, it didn't happen. Now, here's what here's what happened. Here's something that's more powerful than any of those things. Losing football games, and losing football games consistently. What a world uh, this is. This is obviously a job that we feel like is going to open... It's not a job. I'll be honest with you, Richard. I have not heard anybody say, oh, the New Mexico job. That's the new hotness. That's the shit I need to jump in on. It is a... There could, like, this is a situation where there could be there could be some reasons why they haven't gotten, written, gotten rid of Bob Davey throughout all of this. And, yeah. you know, we talk about winning and losing speaking louder than a lot of the things that we wish it didn't speak louder than. Um, and that could be part of it. It's It's... Who who are you gonna get for New Mexico? Uh, New Mexico's uh, New Mexico's currently two and five. Their two wins are over FCS, Sam Houston State, and New Mexico State, and they won by three in that game. So uh, you know, not good. Four game losing streak. Uh, they lost to Liberty. Like it's not good. Okay. Uh, they still have Hawaii. They still have Nevada, Air Force, Boise, and Utah State. Chances are they're gonna lose all those games. So accordingly, where do you start? The names I've heard, <coughs> excuse me, that I would associate with this job, names that New Mexico will explore. Uh, Oregon offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo. Just and, called a very good game against Washington, by the way. Seriously. And Richard, yours? Uh, Danny Gonzalez at Arizona State. Um, he is, so he comes, first of all, he is from Albuquerque, played at New Mexico, coached at New Mexico for a while. Um, is from kind of the Rocky Long tree. Rocky Long, former um, uh, New Mexico head coach. Danny Gonzalez right now is with Herm Edwards calling the defense at Arizona State, doing a pretty good job of it as well. I, My personal opinion, not reported, personal opinion, is that Gonzalez sticks at Arizona State for a little bit um, and hangs out with Herm and, and continues kind of on that program's ascendancy in the Pac-12 South. But when mama calls... Uh, last one, Richard, then we'll get out of here. Let's go to the Tad Water. Old Dominion. Currently yeah, one baby. and six. One and six, oh and three in conference USA. Bobby Wilder guided this team into FBS, and there's a pretty strong correlation with the coach that brings you up from FCS not lasting in FBS for whatever reason. That's just how these things work sometimes. Or in this case in college football, all the time. Um this is a school. That needs to get up to speed financially. Richard will talk about that in a second. This is a school that is sitting on a gold mine. This is a school, in my opinion, that is helping chip away at the former dominance of Virginia Tech. They sit on the far east side of the state where most of the football talent is in state, with the exception of Northern Virginia and the D.C. area. ODU. ODU. I mean, look, I'm sure there's some scrappy white linebackers in the the, um, Piedmont. It's Appalachian, Piedmont, and Tidewater. I learned that when I was in the first grade in Virginia. Um, there's a strong amount of talent in in the Tidewater specific to all of ACC and even some, I would say, the, the east side of the Big Ten's recruiting. People go in there, they hunt for it. Are, are you going to build some sort of program that locks the gates? No, you're not. But you can be a miniature version of Houston, of Memphis, of... 
I would say any of those major ACC kind of city schools where you know you're sitting on top of the talent, that's that I, I view that area in Virginia to be that good, especially when you're talking about the context of ODU winning games in Conference USA. You can now, also be an absolute pest to like Maryland and Penn State. Hell yeah, you can. Um, and you can also catch guys that are, want to transfer home in the portal. That's another thing. This is a good job. It's not a good job right now. Two names we would associate with this. Charles Huff, currently at Alabama. Played at Hampton. He's from the area. Shane Beamer, currently at Oklahoma. Kind of grew up in the area, so to speak. <laughs> yes, yes, that's Frank Beamer's son. Um, <clears throat> is He is tight ends coach, but also assistant head coach um, at Oklahoma. I think that he's got a little bit of fingerprints on uh, on Lincoln's offense and is helping him out um, with some game plan stuff and some offensive structural stuff. Uh, while Lincoln kind of masterminds that thing, it takes a village to raise an offense. But with Old Dominion, if you're going to go get one of these young guys up and coming, whether it's Huff, Beamer, or whoever the hell else it is, you're going to have to open up that checkbook, baby, because you got Bobby Wilder at a little bit of a discount. And so I think the state of play here is, look, look at the two young guys who just got hired in the Conference USA. Tyson Helton at Western Carolina, $800,000. Excuse me, Western Kentucky, $800,000. Will Healy, Charlotte, $700,000. Um, Old Dominion sits right under that at roughly, I think it's like six fifty dollars or six sixty dollars for Bobby Wilder. Um, and his buyout is about $900,000 if they fire him December 1st per USA Today. I think Old Dominion would do really well to sniff a million dollars with your total compensation per year for whoever it is your next head coach is. That's not unprecedented in the league. Um, the top end of the league is ridiculous with Seth Luttrell, Lane Kiffin, Butch Davis. Um, but those are, Butch is uh, obviously a long-tenured guy. Lane and Luttrell are names, and you had to pay to keep Luttrell um, around. So that's kind of the state of play financially. You're in the bottom third of coach compensation in that league. Break out the checkbook, pay a little bit more, compensate the right guy, um, and and start recruiting. Richard, we'll talk Florida State with Bud on the next show. Uh, we say this every week, watch out because the silly season is upon us. It's very, very likely we'll be back next week talking about more actually open jobs.